Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as 006.5, License to Kill Stupidity. Radio with At 6PR, columnist with At Daily Telegraph, Sum TV, Australia's youngest political commentator at 16. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Kayla Bond. Steve, how are you? I am doing exceedingly well, Caleb. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I, I suppose I just sort of introduce myself as Caleb Bond. There's nothing particularly special. I just say, you know, hello, I'm Caleb. That's if, you know, if it's a girl or something, I get a bit worried and I can't really introduce myself. I need someone else to do it for me. But um, <laughs> no, I, I just say I'm Caleb Bond. And, you know, if someone asks what I do, uh, I just tell them, you know, I'm write a couple of columns, I do a bit of commentary here and there and whatever, but I, I find it's best not to let those things get in the way of a, a normal human friendship or contact because what you find is when you tell people that sort of thing, they want to go on about it forever and ever and ever, you know, just, just tell them what you do and move on and let's just have a normal human connection. My career is another matter for other times. Do you find uh, that sometimes your reputation precedes you and that is a hurdle that has to be overcome in your normal human interactions? No, it's not really a hurdle. I mean, it it, it does help sometimes. I mean, mm. the other day I go to the, the auctions here quite often because uh, you may or may not know I'm quite into fountain pens. Um, and I discovered that I could get, you know, good vintage fountain pens for a good price at a, uh, a local auction house and a couple of times I've gone in there and someone's looked at me sideways and they looked for a little while and I say, have I seen you somewhere? And they go, yes, yes, you, you saw me on Studio 10 or whatever it was. But I, I don't think it's a hurdle really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just something that uh, you take on. It's part of what you do. People recognise you for that. And it, it's actually quite nice when people sort of recognise you in the street. I've had a couple of times I've been sitting in a cafe and someone's come in and come up to me and go, are you Kayla Bond? Yes, yes, I am. So it's it, it's not a hurdle and it's not too bad, but sometimes you wonder uh, whether people are talking to you specifically because you are that personality or just mm. because you are Kayla Bond. Well, understandably, and I can, uh, I can hear that from your perspective, your face value, this is who Caleb is, mm-hmm. the, the public and, and professional persona are very much the same thing. Yes, yes, they are. And, and you know, I, I try to be the same thing no matter what I do. I, I mean, uh, I was told quite early on by a friend of mine who, who works in radio here in Adelaide, um, yeah. you know, you are a little bit of every person you've ever admired, but don't try to be anyone else. You have to be yourself because that is the yes. most marketable product you have and the audience will know if you're being someone else. You have to be upfront, honest, give your honest opinions and just be who you are as a person. That's the only thing you can sell in the media. It's obviously paying off for you, Caleb, because for someone who is still pretty young, I mean, you only graduated last year, didn't you? Yeah, I graduated uh, last year, year 12, so I'm bloody glad that's all out of the way now. I don't have to worry about school anymore, thank God. So for someone that is so young uh, to have 
what is becoming a, a rapidly national profile through your writing and your television, mm-hmm. those kinds of things, that I guess would have its excellent moments mm-hmm. and its moments that aren't so great. Oh, yes, of course it does. I mean, um, people like to abuse you. I mean, you'd know this. You, mm-hmm. you uh, work in the media. If people don't like you, they're not afraid to tell you the fact they don't like you, right? <laughs> yes. They go on Twitter and they post all this sort of crap and, you know, the, I, I get some wonderful stuff. I laugh at most of it. I, I, I distinctly remember the first time I got uh, a piece of hate which came in on Twitter um, and I think uh, the bloke called me the C word or something and I looked at it for a little while and went, hmm, this is interesting. Um, and then I just burst out laughing. And ever since then, I've taken that attitude towards that that sort of thing. You know, you, you go through times where people absolutely despise you, but but that's part and parcel of what you do. You, you take it as it comes. You got to deal with that. I mean, I, I do feel sorry though for people that don't have a thick skin. I think mine's probably mm-hmm. as as thick as a rhinoceros's hide. But uh, for those who get about and uh, you know, can't deal with that sort of thing. It must be awful. Yes, I, I could imagine. When I, yes, I like you deal with some stuff. Uh, I would have to say though, nothing to the extent that you get. No, uh, no. Well, well I, I mean, you, you you don't deal in opinion in the same way that I do. I mean, yeah. last year um, I wrote a piece in the Daily Telegraph, I think it was in September or something, about Troy Newman, who at the time was uh, he's an anti-abortion campaigner and he was trying to get into the country. Um, and they refused or they cancelled his visa. Now, of course, after the fact, he tried to get in anyway, which yes. sort of proved he was a dodgy character. But prior to that, they had revoked his visa on the basis of his views. And I basically yes. wrote, look... As a freedom of speech matter, we should let these people come in regardless of what they think of them. And if if venues don't want to host him, that's good. That's free speech in action. We, the citizens, can make these decisions. We don't need the government to make them for us. But people read this piece and all of a sudden thought I was a a fervent anti-abortion campaigner. Nowhere in that column did I make any comment about abortion itself, simply Mm. about his right to speak. But no, they weren't happy with that and they went on and I think I trended in every city across the country on Twitter (laughs) for the evening and they were going absolutely spare. But what they don't realise is when they do that, they're boosting my profile. So, you know, all power to them, I say. The clicks on the article would have gone through the roof too. It most probably would have. It would have been a good promotional tool, not just for me, but for the Daily Telegraph. And I, and I don't think they mind that. I mean, uh, people have accused the Daily Telegraph of exploiting me because I'm 16 and I've I've got all these opinions and they're taking me for a ride and all this crap. And that's nonsense. You know, mm-hmm. I, I write these things because I believe them. No one's telling me to write this stuff and people go on all the time about you know Rupert Murdoch supposedly skyping all of his columnists every day and and feeding them a drip to on what to write he doesn't do anything like that never happened to me I write what I want to write and they'll publish it if they want uh, and that's my problem you know no one's ever come to me and pushed me to do anything or tried to use me I get paid for what I do I'm not being exploited at all is in 2016 is copying some of the heat uh, online. And I would imagine there's also an amount of love that comes with that, but is that the cost of doing business? Yeah, I, I suppose it sort of is. It's, it's 
one of those things you just have to do. I mean, like I said before, um, copping that heat, getting that abuse is almost part of the business model um, because it is a way to promote yourself because you know that for as long as people are being outraged at what you've got to say, you know that they're reading your material or listening to mm. you or watching you. So, you know, I don't mind if they want to do that. It, it helps promote me. It helps promote the people that employ me. Um, I think it, it's really just part and parcel of what you do um, and you cop it on the chin when it comes because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I have a pretty powerful medium. I can, I can write things in the paper and I have a segment each week on the radio where I can really say what I like. So if someone wants to come back and fire at me on Twitter, you know, probably with an egg for a face or whatever they want to choose, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. It's just part of what you have to do. You cop it sweet. You get on with things. Caleb, what is your superpower? My superpower? Good heavens. I'm not sure. Well, I'm a Bond. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's something to do with that. No, I think my superpower, if you can call it a a superpower, um, is just to to be able to communicate and to be able to connect with people and understand what people have to say and want to be a part of discourse. I mean, um, a lot of young people really aren't interested in in having anything to do with politics, and I totally understand mm-hmm. that. I mean, you only get to enjoy your youth once. So if you want to bum around and have a bit of fun and go out driving and chat up girls, that's, you know, great fun. I mean, I, I do some of that myself anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I think my superpower is, is really just to be me, to be me. And, and that's most people's superpowers. If you can be yourself and do what you do best, uh, I think you'll find yourself in the best position you can be. The... Stuff that you're doing now, you're writing and, and opinion writing and those sorts of things, is this how, – how are you cultivating this? How are you wanting to grow this? Because I would imagine mm. that this is something that you see as a real career for you. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I do this seriously. I pursue it because that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm not playing around um, uh, and that's why I work hard at it and, and try my best to, to get in places and, and talk to people make connections and do all these mm-hmm. sorts of things because that it is something I'm interested in. I mean, I can remember, I think I would have been 12 at the time when I discovered that I could listen to, to radio stations from all around the country online. Um, mm. And I found this station who uh, those in Sydney who are listening may or may not have heard of and probably haven't heard of if they're you know born after 2000 is 2SM. Now, once mm. upon a time, 2SM was a big top 40 station. And somewhere around the 90s, a bloke called Bill Corrales bought it. But uh, uh, John Laws came out of retirement in 2011 and went to work on 2SM. Uh, And, you know, it rates about 0.2% in the ratings or something. I don't think they even subscribe to the ratings anymore. (laughs) But I discovered that I could listen to John Laws and they had all these podcasts of his shows on there. And I think I went through and, and listened to every single one on there. And, and from that moment, I was sort of captivated by radio, you know, listening to this great man yes. in action, the golden tonsils opens up and, you know, speaks forth. And, and from that point, I thought, you know, I'm really interested in radio. And that's something I've always wanted to do ever since. And I think after that, um, you know, I just sort of took an interest in print and, and reading things. And I figured out that print would be an easier 
medium to start out in than radio was because to get into radio <clears throat> you have to uh, you know break into it and do all this sort of stuff whereas print you only have to find an editor who's willing to publish a piece of yours and away you go so mm-hmm. um, I think it was the advertiser and uh, a columnist who worked there at the time she's now actually the been pre-selected as the the liberal candidate for Boothby here in SA at the next election uh, Nicole Flint um, and I just sort of sent her a message on Twitter. Twitter, once again, is such a powerful tool. And I said to her, uh, you know, how did you get into it? And so she explained and what she did. And she'd sent her people uh, a few pieces. So I went away and, and wrote something which interested me and still does. And that was, you know, the fact that kids should be taught about politics in school. And I put this piece together and, and sent it off to the editor, the opinion editor at the Advertiser. Um, and he was nice enough to publish it for me. So um, it's all just about opening doors and having a go, and and I found that it's something I enjoy, and I I definitely like to pursue it as a career, yeah. Who do you look to as uh, mentors within the industry currently? Print or radio or both? I'm happy to take either. Okay, well, um, in print... Of course, it would come as no surprise to a lot of people um, that Miranda Devine is a a great mentor and a good Mm -hmm. friend of mine. Um, And right from the outset, uh, she has supported me and helped me and given me tips and and put me in touch with people. She's been a real advocate for you, hasn't she? She has. She has. And, and, you know, I am really grateful for that because the thing is when you are – I was 15 when I started doing this. I'm 16 now. Um, But when you're a kid – and you go and knock on the door of someone who has a lot of success, you don't expect them to open the door, let alone welcome you in, sit you down and give you a cup of tea. Um, mm. and, and I've had a lot of people, you know, in radio as well, uh, Ben Fordham yes. over on 2GB is one. He is a great bloke. Here in Adelaide, uh, Jeremy Cordeaux who's uh, sort of an Adelaide radio legend. He's been Mm. in business for years and years and years. Um, And they've all been willing to give me their time and help me and put me in touch with people. And I really appreciate that because I'm just a young upstart trying to to get somewhere (laughs) in this industry. And the fact that people are willing to give me their time and effort and and help me out, I I really can't thank them enough. So how how does it feel for you when you see... Uh, your content printed in the same paper, even next to, you know, people that you look up to, or when you're sitting across the panel from, uh, you know, some of these radio people like Jeremy. It it feels wonderful um, because here I am at at 16 and I have the privilege of sharing the same space as these people who really have worked all their lives and their whole careers to get where they are. Now, of course, you know, I I don't have page 13 like Miranda does and I don't host a a whole show like Jeremy does, but but to be able to share that space and be with them uh, and learn from the best, uh, it really is a great experience. And, uh, of course, you have to be interested in the media to want to do something like that, but but it it is really good that I'm able to, to have that opportunity and that experience, and I think I owe it to, to everyone who's helped me out along the way and still does help me and, and gets me published and all that sort of thing, because without them, I'd be nothing. What does your family make of all this fame, Caleb? 
Um, I, I think it was deja vu for them, really, because when I was six, I was on Rove Live. Yes. Um, and, and some people listening might have seen this, and if they haven't, they're quite welcome to go on YouTube and, oh, they have to. and it's watch so great. it. There was two things I did. One where I went on and, and sang an adapted version of uh, Duncan, and it was I Love to Have a Beer with Rovi. And another uh, was at the time I wanted to be a real estate agent. So <laughs> great. Because <laughs> my grandfather at the time was the, the general manager of Rain and Horn here in SA. Yes. Um, so I sort of wanted to follow in his footsteps and become a real estate agent. So we did this mock open inspection thing. Um, and at that time, I got a bit of attention and I, I did the stuff with Rove and did a couple of radio ads for, I think it was, I did some for Rain and Horn and I did some for uh, Mobile. Um, you don't hear much about them anymore, but but Mobile Oils and, and all mm. this sort of stuff. Um, and then it all sort of died down and, and things went back to normal. And 10 years later, um, I started doing all this media stuff again. But I, I think what my, my family make of it really is it's it's no different than the day before. I'm still the same kid I always was. I'm mm. their son, their brother. Um, you know, what I do is what I do and it doesn't much matter. You know, it comes up in conversation, of course, you know. What are you going to write about this week? And, and they, you know, they take me to radio studios and all of this sort of stuff. But I, I, I think they just sort of look at it and go, well, you know, that's what Caleb does and, and that's who Caleb is. Wow, that is so great. <laughs> are you, and, and pardon me if this is too personal, no. are you studying this year or are you focusing on your writing and, and media commitments? No, no study this year. Thank God for that. You've taken um, a gap year. I, I, yep. I decided that I wanted to have a year off, um, particularly because I've, finished school at, at 16 um, yeah. I've sort of got the time to muck about and have a bit of fun so you know I thought I'd, I'd take a year off and enjoy myself and I can focus on my writing and radio and, and try and make inroads there because the earlier you make those inroads I, I think the better so uh, I'll just sort of use this year to promote myself and, and try and get a bit of work and earn a bit of money and have a bit of fun and, and do things like that but I, I'm not entirely sure if I want to go back to studying it. You know, something might come up and I might think, mm, you know, I'm interested in going to uni and, and doing that. But I'm, I'm not committing myself to anything just yet. I, I think I'll wait and see how things pan out. What for you is a source of strength, Caleb? Um, myself, I think, um, because if you want to be in the media, and I, really it goes for any industry, you have to believe in yourself. That's the, mm. the number one key to everything. You have to believe in yourself because if you think you're a winner or you think you're a loser, you're right both times. Because <laughs> if you get it in your head that you're a loser, you'll be a loser. And if you get it in your head that you're a winner, you'll strive to be a winner and you'll get there. So I think a, a source of strength would be myself, um, and I suppose the people around me, uh, one of the things I learnt uh, from my, my grandfather, who I said before was uh, the general manager of, of Rain and Horn, and in his younger days, uh, he had a couple of businesses and mm. owned a chain of butchers uh, stores around South Australia and was quite successful. And one of the things he always did was he had a group of people, three or four people, that he could call any time and ask any question and totally rely on. And I think it is important, no matter what you do, 
that you have a small group of people like that whom you trust, uh, who can give you solid advice at any time and you can send them a text or call them or email them and they'll help you out and if you have people like that there I think they are a great source of strength because sometimes you know you're you're not entirely sure about something you're not sure where you're going you speak to these people they put you on the right track they reassure you it's important to have those sort of people there not necessarily your family or your normal friends but people that understand what you do for a living uh, and can help you out in that capacity. It's not really an accountability group, but but certainly in that context, these are people who, as you said, will give you direction, mm. you can ask questions of, and, and I would imagine, uh, not bring you into line, but sort of say, hey, Caleb, that, that thought, what about if you think about it this way? Mm. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Focus absolutely. your attention. They, they do that all the time. I mean, I, I come up with some really wacky ideas and <laughs> I, I call someone up and say, you know, what do you think of this? And they go, well, it's shithouse, you know. Or, or they might say, <laughs> or, or, you know, I, I might call someone else up and, and say, you know, oh, I've been thinking about this, but I'm not really sure how to execute it. And, and they sort of give me this step-by-step instruction manual on how to do it. Um, and it, it's great to have those sort of people there to support you anytime you need them. And they, of course, understand the business better than anyone else because they've been in it for a long time. And it, mm. it is important to have those sort of people there that you can lean on and rely on uh, and use to get yourself ahead. And at the end of the day, I think uh, in the media and a lot of industries, um, people who have made it like to help out those that want to make it because they are the, the next generation of that industry um, and if they can leave their mark and say, well, you know, I helped that person get where they are, I think it makes them feel good as well. Yes. What do you make of the current uh, situation at the federal government level where we're staring down an election this year? Um, there's lots of controversy around what is and isn't happening from a government point of view and, and uh, um, ministers falling by the wayside from the original cabinet that was appointed when Tony Abbott mm. put it together versus Labor and what's going on there. I'd like to know where this table is. They keep telling us, you know, everything's on the table. Have you seen the table yet? I think it got broken at that party. (laughs) You might might be right. But they keep telling us, you know, this is on the table and, and we're not going to discount anything. Well, you know, we've not had a discussion yet. This is what annoys me. We've had all this stuff about... Let's talk about tax reform. Let's talk about mm. GST. Let's talk about this and that. And they, they want to have an open discussion with the Australian public. You cannot have an open discussion unless you bring an idea to the table. It seems to me that they're going around and around in circles trying to make up time until the election because Malcolm Turnbull has one thing and that is popularity. Mm. And he does not want to risk his popularity by doing something that may cost him in the short term. So what he's trying to do is coast through to the election and and seem all happy and dandy and don't release anything too harsh, leave the policies alone for a little while, and maybe on the other side of the election he'll come up with some ideas. But but at the moment we're just sort of in limbo because they're trying to coast on this popularity. But after a while that will expire. I mean, they can't go on forever just being Mr Popular, Mr Turnbull, um, they need to come up with some ideas. And it annoys me that they're not being upfront and honest 
uh, and giving us something because people criticise the, the Tony Abbott government for not knowing what it was doing. Well, it mm. would seem to me that the Malcolm Turnbull government just isn't doing anything at all. <laughs> it, it, someone pointed out uh, not long after Mr Turnbull became Prime Minister that there was all talk beforehand of how policies need to change and so on and so forth. And I appreciate that some of those things, they're big ships and are hard to turn around. But that the policies mm. that the, the Liberal Party currently hold in, in government with Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister are identical almost to those policies which were held under the Abbott government. Yes, and that's because they've not come up with anything different. All Malcolm Turnbull has done in the six months that he has been there is roll out policies that were already in the pipeline and were there under Tony Abbott's leadership, but he's just done them as a different salesman. That's the only difference we've seen so far. Now, if if we are to be convinced that Tony Abbott was that bad a Prime Minister and that Malcolm Turnbull was the saviour and the messiah and he was going to come in and save the day and, you know, it's it's never been a better time to be an Australian or (laughs) yesterday he told a group of school kids it's never uh, never been a better time to be a young Australian and next week, you know, he'll say there's never been a better time to be a sheep or a foetus or a cat or whatever it might be. He just needs to do something. He's not proving himself yet and and that annoys Mm. me so much. There's never been a better time to be on an Australian podcast, Caleb. (laughs) No, of course, never been a better time at all. (laughs) (laughs) Where does your fascination for fountain pens come from? You know, I I have an attitude uh, towards everything that if you're going to do it, you may as well do it the best you can. Um, and, and, you know, we have computers now more and, you know, I take notes on my phone when I'm out and about and mm-hmm. I, I write all my columns on the computer and, you know, I did all my school assignments on the computer and so you write less and less. Um, and I think when you do write, um, it shouldn't be a task, it should be an experience. It, it should be something special because you, you don't do it so often. So yes. I think, I, you know, I've always had nice ballpoint pens and I I think I got my first um, Parker set uh, and it was a a ballpoint and pencil, mechanical pencil when I was about eight or something Um, and then I think I would have been about 13 or 14 when I decided I wanted a fountain pen so I went to mum and dad for my birthday and and said you know I want this this pen so they went away and got it and it was a gold uh, Parker IM which I lost late last year unfortunately but um i got i got this i know and it's i always dreamt of you know when i was you know 60 or something i could say this was my first fountain pen but i lost the damn thing but i had this fountain pen and i wrote with it and um sometime last year i i started thinking well you know maybe i should invest in a few more and and that's always a bad hole to go down no matter what (laughs) you're into so i started collecting these fountain pens and I go to the auctions and, and I get all these things and I, I like Parkers. I've got a Parker 40, you've got three Parker 45s here. Uh, I've got a nice Parker Slim Fold and a couple of other ones. And uh, got, uh, what's this one? I've got a Conway Stewart. Uh, I've got a nice Schaefer for Christmas. But the other thing really, and, and people don't realise this, is you can go on eBay and you can buy a really good quality fountain pen for $2. I mean, I've got here at the moment, uh, and I've had a couple of these. They're called a Jinhao X450, 
and they're, mm. they're just a cheap Chinese fountain pen. I think you pay about $2 free postage online on, on uh, eBay, and they take a couple of weeks to get out to you from China. But they're a really solid pen, and they have a really nice nib on it. You know, there's really no excuse to not be into fountain pens. I've just sent you one. I sent Thank that away you. the other day, um, and you'll, you'll be able to ink that up and have a bit of fun with it. But I, I think, you know, the thing about fountain pens is that they are a joy to write with. Uh, and it makes writing not so much a task but an experience and a pleasure. And I think they're just magnificent to look at as well. I mean, you look at the nib on a, a fountain pen, they have a certain class about them that, that ballpoint pens just don't have, you know. Yes. It's it's such a such a nice thing to be able to hold a fountain pen in your hand and, and watch the ink flow out of the pen and, and you don't even have to apply any pressure to the paper. You just sort of glide the nib across the top and away you go. And it's great fun. And I, I think I, I've converted a few people along the way. Um, at school in particular, I think I must have been the only kid to have a fountain pen. Um, uh, I was probably the, the only kid that did a lot of different things. But uh, I used to have a, a fountain pen. I'd take it to school every day and people would look at it and go, what the hell's that? So, you know, I'd spend the next half hour explaining them, explaining to them the intricacies of a fountain pen and they'd either at the end of it go, you know, yeah, I really want one. And they go, geez, that was boring as batshit. Um, <laughs> and, and I have that effect on people. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's great. You know, fountain pens are just, I don't know, they're an antiquated thing, but but they're so good. They're a joy to have, a joy to use, and I really wish more people would would get into them because there's plenty of them about. It's not as though they're hard to get a hold of, and they're not hard to use. You just uh, a lot of the ones now you can just put a little cartridge in it. You just put the ink in, and, and away you go. There's no excuse not to use one. No excuse. No excuse at all. In fact, if if anyone wants one. And I, I, this is what I did to you. I put out a call on Twitter. If someone wants a fountain pen, I've got a couple of these Jinhao things here. Send me an email, kalabatsebond.com.au, and include your address. And uh, one person, one lucky person, will be sent a fountain pen. Because if, if there's one thing I want to do in life, I want to spread the fountain pen bug. And I hope I can give it to you. The advocate for fountain pens, Caleb Bond. I am an evangelist. Indeed. <laughs> What's the hardest truth you've had to deliver? Oh, the hardest truth I've had to deliver. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not. I mean, what was yours? Have you got an answer to that one? Oh, there have been a few. Um, a couple of them have been to myself. Yes. Around the end of relationships and those yes. sorts of things. Yes. Well, well that, that can always be a difficult one. Um, I've, I've sort of had that, ex- I, I wasn't in a relationship, but sort of had that experience recently with someone I was, I was pretty, uh, into, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't, that didn't work out as I all expected it to. And that all goes down the drain, but such is life. Um, the hardest truth, I, I'm really not sure. I'd have to get back to you on that one. I, I don't know what the hardest truth I've had to deliver is. It's, it's not something you really think about all the time, is it? You deliver some fairly serious truths in the things that you write. I do, but I, I don't really see any one of them as, as more difficult to deliver than the other. Um, it's, it's just what you say. I mean, I suppose from that perspective, the hardest truth I've ever delivered is the truth itself. 
because oftentimes people don't want to listen to the truth. And it doesn't matter what it is. They don't want to listen mm. because they want to carry on in their, their fairy fantasy land and have their own fun and, and be ignorant and whatever. Um, I think I probably deliver hard truths every day. Um, mm. But but no, I've, I've never really considered one to be more difficult to deliver than the other. So what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? What am I going to achieve? Look, I'd I'd like to... Uh, have a few more gigs going than I do mm. at the moment, um, and that's a matter of persistence. I mean, there's a bloke I've been trying to get for a while, and I, I think I called the reception at this radio station for three weeks, once a day, for three weeks, until I finally got a hold of this program director. And when I got a hold of him, I tried to sell him the idea of a segment, and he said no anyway. So I thought, well, that was a great use of three weeks. <laughs> but But the upside to that now is that I have his direct phone line. So I yes. can call him anytime and pester him all I want um, and try and get myself all this sort of stuff. So I, I think what I'd like to achieve is to be very persistent and contact lots of people and hope that by the end of this year I can have a few more gigs under my belt uh, and I hope I, I'm still writing regularly by the end of the year and, and doing all of that sort of stuff. But, but, I mean, the end goal really is just to sort of establish myself as much as I possibly can because I, I currently ride on this thing of being Australia's youngest political commentator. And, of course, that's not going to last forever. One, <laughs> one, one day I'm going to be 65 and I can't call myself Australia's youngest political commentator anymore. So I have to uh, create a reputation before that runs out that I can then use just as an ordinary political commentator, an ordinary social commentator without having to rely on that young thing. So I'd, I'd like to think that I have the, the, the ability and the talent to be able to do that. So I suppose really I'll, I'll just be working a way to try and build myself a reputation so as you know, at the time I become an adult, I don't have to rely on that tagline anymore. Well, you've got a few years to chance it before yeah, exactly. you hit 65, mate. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, when I've run out of the, the Australia's Youngest Political Commentator line, I think my next one could either be that um, 006.5 Licence to Kill Stupidity. I think that's a good tagline. Um, I, I recently had some business cards made up uh, and I, I had put on the bottom of those martinis shaken, opinions stirred. And um, I think the other one, which a friend suggested to me, would be a good sign-off on a a radio show or something is my word is my bond. Excellent. That is excellent. You see, it's because all, all of these bond puns, there are so many of them. This is the thing. When your last name is Bond, everyone wants to make a joke about it. And mm. I thought, well, maybe if I make the jokes first, I will take the wind out of people. And quite often it works. I mean, you call up a bank or something and they say, hello, Mr. Bond, what can we do for you? Uh, and they, they carry on with all this stuff. And Yes, Mr. Bond. So I, I normally make the jokes first, and then they can't make them for me. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, it, was, it was a gift to me, this name, so I figure I may as well use it. Absolutely, Caleb, <laughs> and you certainly are. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking with you. No, thank you for having me. Please know that the things you've said are very special and you're highly valued. I really appreciate our chat. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Obviously, you're on Twitter, Caleb. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? 
when you say admit to, do you mean ones masquerading under a different name or, or just ordinary social media accounts? Well, you could have other social accounts or you could be ABC News intern. <laughs> yes, here you go. Huge if true, I might be ABC News intern. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm on Facebook and that's, geez, that's an interesting experience sometimes. I learnt long ago, <laughs> never discuss and I... I break the rules all the time, but mm. I told myself never discuss politics on Facebook because it's full of family and friends and they all want to argue with you and, and once cordial relationships can be destroyed over over jokes and, and crap like that and it just mm. annoys the hell out of me. But, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook and I use that mostly to connect with friends and family uh, and I'm on Instagram. Um, I don't know, I think that's about it. There's nothing... Nothing that I'm ashamed of, if that's what you're getting at. That's a good start. <laughs> Nothing that I'm ashamed of yet, anyway. <laughs> maybe maybe when I'm 25, I'll look back at some of the stuff I put online and go, oh, Jesus Christ, what was I thinking when? Actually, it's, it's a good one. Are you on Facebook? Yes, sir. There's, they've got this on this day function, right? Mm. And I go through that every day to check if there was something that I posted when I was 12 that looked stupid. And I delete it. That's a really good idea. It is really good. And I go through and I go, what the hell did I post that for? You know, all manner of junk. And, and it's a really great way every day it shows you everything you've ever posted on that date. And I go through and delete, delete, delete. It's, it's a really helpful tool, actually. I, they probably didn't intend it to be like that, but I've found it very useful for that. Oh, I've got a lot of people that need to know about that. Mm. Not least of which me. <laughs> you wouldn't post such stuff on social media, would you? Caleb, please, let's not get into how bad I've been. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll make sure we'll pass that on to any future employers. <laughs> and that's what they do that now. They go on and look at yeah. your social media accounts. I mean, good heavens, you, you've got to watch what you do. Every step, you've got to watch what you're doing. Uh, I think you've got to sort of take the attitude, if you don't want to see it on the the front page of tomorrow's newspaper, you're probably best not to do it because it'll probably end up on the front of the paper with the way they can follow you now. <laughs> yes. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at the Caleb Bond is indeed human. Jeez, I'm glad 